Well, I'm here today with my good friend, Dr. Bob Bacco, and he's going to talk to us all throughout this hot August night series about his wisdom expertise. So, Bob, thank you so much for being here today. Would you just uh, maybe talk to us a bit about who you are, a little bit of your background, just so we get the feel of you? Sure. Thanks for inviting me to participate in this. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor, and I practice out of Billings with Northwest Counseling Centers, which is a ministry. In my 39 years of practice, um, I, I specialize in certain areas, and marriage is one of those relationships. So, Bob, would you talk to us about uh, what your working definition of love is, how you think about love as we begin to uh -huh. talk about that big topic. So I'm going to just tell you there's a couple of different components to it and the first one is attraction and it's primal. Yeah. You know, when I when I saw Jan walking down the hallway at, at where I worked, she was coming to see some friends. I didn't know her from a brick wall. And I told the guy next to me, I want to marry her. No way. Yeah. And, and that's all primal, you know, we're, we're attracted. But God made us that way. Totally. He hardwired that into us. He hardwired that into us. The problem is, is that we do a terrible job of educating teenagers, for instance, with self-control and how to manage stuff and, and how to accept some things. So when we think about love and we think about 1 Corinthians 13, you know, Paul did a good checklist there of, of our thinking. Those aren't feeling statements. Those are thinking statements. And we have to be intentional about those. So it's not going to come naturally. In fact, it's unnatural. Yes. This is a little controversial in Christendom, uh, this idea of loving yourself. Mm -hmm. Yet we have Jesus, love your neighbor yeah, as yourself. yourself. It means something. So from your vantage point, what's it look like for us to love ourselves in the midst of loving other people? Well, let's first talk about what it isn't. Yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great you know, it, it's not narcissism. So that's not what that verse is about. Yeah. Um, that verse is not about controlling people. That verse is not about uh, manipulating or coercing uh, others. Um, it's, it's all about... Um, dealing with your relationship with Christ without shame. And, and it's easy being born into a fallen world, and, and none of us are raised in perfect families, yeah. that, that many of us carry around pieces of shame. And there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is I am wrong or I'm, I'm not worthwhile. I don't measure up. Um, and, and so loving yourself is being at peace with what God created and really being at peace with that sense of God loves me um, totally. You know, the world didn't define love. God did. And that's that's... The filter, that's the center. Hi, Journey. How y'all doing today? Really good to be with you all, especially if you're our guest. We're privileged to have you today. This is installment number two of the series that we call Hot August Nights, talking about relationships, love, dating, marriage, sex. 
And uh, before we get into the subject at hand, which is today, you guessed it, about love, could I just ask you to pray with me and my family? Dana, uh, my wife, is in the Democratic Republic of Congo, still trying to get our four adopted daughters out of there. She's been gone for about a month, uh, working on progress toward getting them home. And maybe you just pray that God this week would open some really crucial doors. We'd be really, really appreciative. And uh, if those get opened up, I'll gladly keep you posted. Thank you so very much for standing with us in all that. Before we start, some stuff that Andy Stanley, Mike Mason, and Tim Keller wrote resourced my study and my prep for this message. And a guy named C.S. Lewis, who we've all heard of, put it all on the line about love. And here's what he said. Love anything in your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, he's talking about your heart, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The Apostle Paul, a couple of millennia before C.S. Lewis wrote those words, penned this from Ephesians chapter 5. A man leaves his father and mother is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. And those are very profound and very true, accurate statements, aren't they? And one of the greatest mysteries of marriage, frankly, of any human relationship, is this word right here, love, isn't it? And in marriage, the most powerful and mysterious mystery of all mysteries is meant actually to be sort of demystified right before our very eyes. Because you see, when you get married, what happens? Love moves in with you, doesn't it? That ideal, that thing that you've been so enamored with and chasing ever since you were old enough to recognize it, meets you at the altar, walks across the threshold of your heart and life and eventually the threshold of your home, and then declares really boldly and loudly that it's not ever going anywhere. It's here to stay for good. So then, this thing that used to seem so unapproachable becomes something actually that you can't get rid of, can you? And marriage really at the end of the day begs this question, what do you do with love once you've caught it? What do you do with love once you've caught it? Or maybe it's better to ask it this way, what do you do with love once it's caught you? There's this really great movie called Juno. How many of you have seen the movie Juno? Yeah, I really like that movie. I've seen it a whole bunch of times, and if you haven't seen it, Juno was the story of this very independent-minded teenager, a young lady named Juno McGuff, who confronts an unplanned pregnancy and all of the subsequent events that force her to contend with the pressures of way-too-soon adult life. She initially considers an abortion, she decides against it, eventually landing on the difficult decision to place her baby for adoption. With the help of her friend, Juno searches the ads in the penny saver, which would sort of be the equivalent of our thrifty nickel, I think. She finds a couple who she feels will provide a suitable home. Trouble is, though, their marriage is an absolute wreck. It's a total disaster. And so here's poor Juno. The only thing she sees all around her in life are marriages that are a wreck. Her own parents are divorced. She lives with her dad and Stepmom, and just for the record, Juno's dad is fantastic. When Juno comes to her dad and tells him that she's pregnant, you can imagine the, the, the wrenching conversation that that would have been, but Juno's dad takes the news 
remarkably well, way better than I would, just for the record. And Juno and her dad have this really tender moment when she asks him one of the crux questions in all of life. And you probably won't ask it the way Juno does, but the the gist of it is along these lines. She says, I guess, Dad, I'm just wondering sometimes, do people stay together for good? You know, like people in love. Dad, I just need to know that it's absolutely possible for two people to stay happy together forever in love. Great question. And what she's saying, in other words, is, Dad, I'm looking all around. I'm seeing that this love deal didn't work for you and Mom. It ain't working for me. It's not working for this couple who's supposed to be adopting my baby. Dad, I just got to know, am I aiming for something that's just out of reach, impossible, won't ever happen? And we all ask that question at one point or another. And it's a really, really important question because no matter what it is that you've seen, your current marriage, your previous marriage, your parents' marriage, No matter whether you have any positive examples of anyone in your life crossing the finish line of this life in love with the very same person they started out in love with, no matter any of that, God's set something inside of every single one of us that says, yes, it's possible. It's not just possible for someone else, but it's possible for you to catch love and stay in love over an entire lifetime and reach the finish line of this life in love with the same person you caught love with in the very first place. It's God who sets that inside of us. It's God who puts that draw inside of us that says, I want people to look at us as we're nearing the finish line of our lives and saying, whoa, those two are so in love. God put that in us. And while God's put something inside of every single one of us that tells us that's possible, it's still not all that probable, right? And I'm using the phrase, you're going to hear me use the phrase, catch love instead of falling in love. And I'm doing that very, very intentionally because here's how I see this. I think that you can catch love about the same way you can catch a cold. I think about this, what's it take to catch a cold? A pulse, right? All you have to do is be alive, have a pulse, and you can catch yourself a heck of a cold. And I assert that it's the very same deal when it comes to catching love. To catch love, all you have to have is a pulse. The real challenge is to know what you're supposed to do once you've caught love or once it's caught you so that you can cross the finish line of this life loving the same person you caught love with in the first place. And we're just not all that well equipped for that part of the love deal, are we? There aren't that many good marital examples for us to follow. Generally speaking, we have a pretty low tolerance for relational pain. Thus, for a whole lot of people, when the marital going gets rough, many, many people, what do they do? They run, they flee, they bail, they say, I need a do-over, I gotta try to go catch love with someone new. Now, something else that happens that makes it hard for us to love the person who we caught love with is what we try to take from our spouse, right? Some psychologists, they got together, they came up with this list of every single thing it takes for children to grow up entirely emotionally equipped to engage in long-term relationships. Here's the list. You need massive doses of respect, encouragement, comfort, security, support, acceptance, approval, appreciation, attention, and affection. Raise your hand if that was your family. Right, A few, a very, very few. And based on the number of hands raised, if it takes 18 plus years of all that to well equip us to engage in long-term relationships as an adult, if that's what we need, what are the odds that we can get this long-term love thing right? Pretty low. 
And then you factor in the likelihood that the person you meet and catch love with didn't raise their hand either, and you've got this collision, right? And here's how it goes for most people. We come into our adult lives looking to catch love with someone who can be and do all those things for us. I didn't get it growing up, so you're gonna do it for me. You're gonna be all those things, and then you're expecting the same thing. And just in case you're wondering, that usually doesn't go very well. Because if I'm coming to my spouse saying, give me all that stuff, and my spouse is coming to me saying, give me all that stuff, then what's supposed to create emotional energy between you and the person who you love, all of a sudden that goes away. And well, what do you know? Next thing, you're just perpetual drains on each other's emotional batteries. And try doing that for a few decades. More drain out of the battery. More drain out of the battery. More drain out of the battery. So, if that's the long-term landscape of love, then maybe we should just take C.S. Lewis at his word. We should lock our hearts away in a coffin, a casket, say that this mystery of love and marriage is just too great, along with the Apostle Paul, stare Juno in the eyes and say, nope, sorry dear, it can't happen, it doesn't happen, and just call it quitsville, right? Maybe we should. But pretty cool deal. The story doesn't end there does it? Not even close. Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God who knows the landscape of long-term love, Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God who knows your challenges, you personally, knows your story personally, knows your deficits personally, all that he knows about you, he spoke this one tiny little phrase that if you and your spouse will heed this, will absolutely revolutionize your married love relationship, any relationship for that matter, This will go a long, long way to help you and your spouse cross the finish line of this life just as in love as the day you two caught love together. Here it is, John chapter 13, verse 34. You ready? Here it is. So now I'm giving you a new commandment that those words new commandment is this idea of this revolutionary idea, this revolutionary sweeping idea. Jesus says, so now I am giving you this revolutionary sweeping idea, love each other. You want to cross the finish line of this life as in love as the day you were when you caught love with that person. Well, then you go love your spouse. Revolutionary idea. You want to be the couple that everyone looks on and says, whoa, they're so in love. Then love each other. You want to be the couple who can't wait for the day to be over because you've been separated for eight whole hours and you say, oh my gosh, what am I going to do without you for these eight hours? You want to be that couple who's like, can't wait for the garage door to open. I've missed you so much. Love each other. Go love each other. Now, Jesus does this thing with the word love in that verse that we don't expect. It sort of sneaks in on us. And it's this. Most people, most of us even, use the word love as a noun most of the time. We use the word love as a noun most of the time. Most of us, most of the time, treat love as a thing. Right? What's a noun? Technically defined, person, place, or thing. Right? And lots and lots of people treat love just like a noun. They treat it as a thing. They use the word love as a noun. They say, I'm not in love with you anymore. It's just a thing in that sense. Love has become a noun for most of us. But Jesus says, hold on. 
I want to redefine all of this. I want to mix all of this up. Love is not a noun, he says. Instead, you know what love is? It's a verb. Love is a verb. And a verb is what? It's an action word, isn't it? It's something that you do. It's not just a thing. It's just not a noun sitting over there all like cold fish. I don't love you any. Love is a verb. It's active. It's alive. It's doing. It's in motion. It never sits. Love never ever just sits there like a noun. Love never sits there like a noun. So you run this out a bit. And I want you to imagine with me that you and your spouse, you need some marriage counseling because you're in a bit of a marriage ditch. And so you go to see Jesus as your marriage counselor, whoa. And so you come into Jesus' little office and you sit down at the table and you start to talk and Jesus like, wait, whoa, 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 my turn. It's Jesus, right? So he gets to go first. And he looks at you, the husband, and he says, are you loving her? And you start to answer, he says, whoa, 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 no, no, no. And he looks at you, the wife, and says, are, are you loving him? And she starts to answer, oh, wait, wait, wait. And then maybe you like, well, I, you, you both say it at the same time, I used to, and Jesus goes, ah, 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 ah. No, you can't used to a verb. You can't used to a verb. Are you loving each other or are you not loving each other? You kind of look at each other and he goes, get up and go love each other. And that's the end of the counseling session. Right? World's shortest marriage counseling session. Five minutes, it's over, easy. You go love each other revolutionary, sweeping idea. A new commandment I give you. Love each other. And some of you right now, you're in a marriage ditch. And you're in a marriage ditch because you're all hung up on the feeling thing. And your answer to Jesus' question, are you loving him, are you loving her, is no. Why? Because I'm not feeling the love. You can't sing the Lion King song, you know, Elton John and all that. And see, here's the deal. When you first met each other, the feeling was like palpable. I'm going to burst some bubbles right now, okay? The feeling was really palpable. It was like right there. You felt the love feeling like right here in your gut. It was, call it whatever you want, Twitter-pated or butterflies or whatever. You just felt the love. And you got married and time went by and you had a kid or two or three or four or five or whatever many. Twelve. I'm not talking about me here. <laughs> but the next thing you know, the feeling, it's, it's gone. The feeling left. Love became for you and your spouse a lot like a noun. And the feeling left. And right now, some of you sitting in this room, you're waiting for the feeling to come back. And you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. But hear me when I say you're waiting for something that's never going to happen by itself because here's how you get the feeling back. You do what Jesus said. You go love each other. You go love each other. You treat love as a verb. And well then, well, what do you know? The feeling starts to come back because love loves a verb, not a noun. So you want to be the couple who makes it all the way to the end of your life and have people looking on your life and marriage and saying they are so, so in love. And here's what you do, and you'll be able to remember it this way. You make love a verb. Can you remember it that way? You make love 
a verb. And the pause is very important there. You make love a verb. Some of you are just now catching on. You're like, no way, he just said that. This is the slow class. Go make love a verb. Then a little later in the scriptures, the Apostle Paul, the guy who talked about how mysterious this whole love and marriage deal is, he said something very similar to what Jesus said. Something that actually has created a whole lot of trouble for a whole lot of people, even though it shouldn't. Paul says this, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Whoa. Yep, we're going there. The S word. Submit. And we're laying the foundation for a love relationship, a marriage that reaches the finish line as well as it started. And the foundation for that kind of marriage is two things. You make love, a verb, and you submit to one another. And I know lots and lots of people, lots and lots of Christians have a whole lot of issues with that word submit. Right? I won't ask for a show of hands, but there'd be a lot raised, I promise. And they get hung up on that word because they've incorrectly translated this word submit to mean doormat. Right? But the word submit in any language isn't even close to being defined as doormat. Paul's using it in this sense, mutual submission. Ephesians chapter 5 is all about mutual submissions. It means that you both, husband and wife, look on each other and you say to one another, you are the priority. You sort of point your fingers at each other. You are the priority. You are the priority. No, you're the priority. No, you're the priority. No, you're the priority. It's like this conflict, th- cool conflict to have. You're the priority. No, you're the priority. Who's going to be first? I say it to you and you say it to me and that's powerful. Really, really powerful. If you can get this dialed into your marriage, you'll be that couple who people look on near the end of your life and go, geez, they are so in love. That's spectacular. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you live this out every single day. You know what it is to live out this mutual submission thing. And yes, it's scary. If you're living it, you know that it's scary And it's so scary because anytime you willingly place yourself under somebody else, it's a very scary place to be. It's especially scary because someone has to go first. Someone has to start the mutual submission thing. You're the priority. No, you're the... Somebody has to go first. Somebody has to lead it out in the relationship. Somebody has to say, I'm making you the priority whether you make me the priority or not. I'm doing it. The foundations of a marriage that will go the distance are those two things. You make love a verb and you submit to one another. And if you'll do that, you'll cross the finish line of this life in as much love as you were on the day you caught love in the first place. And see, here's what happens. We all come into the marriage deal with just loads of baggage. I don't care how perfect your upbringing is. You've still got baggage. We all have baggage. All sorts of dysfunction. And we've got our stuff and we end up with this person of the opposite sex and they have their stuff and there's a load, like a dump truck load of stuff. And the best thing that can ever happen in your world, the best thing that can ever happen in your marriage is for both of you to meet Jesus Christ. To yield your heart and life to him 
to start to grow up in your faith in him, start to dig out who God made you to be, start to live your life patterned and modeled after Jesus Christ. And then the next thing you know, all that stuff that you've brought into the marriage, it begins to shift. It starts to be healed. Those broken, empty bits of both of you start to get put back together, not by the other person filling in all those gaps, but by God, the one who was made to fill in all those gaps. And transformation begins to unfold. Transformation about love and what it is and submission and what that is. And honestly, couples who get together today with all the stuff that they have, their chances, your chances of making it to the third year of marriage are so incredibly small. But Jesus can change the whole game. As he works in you, as he does something supernatural in you, as you dig deeper and deeper, as you hang in there and as you don't give up, as you battle through some really hard, difficult things, you keep making love a verb and you keep putting the other person first and the next thing you'll know, the years, the decades, they're just ticking by one, by one, by one and what do you know? You've made it to 40 years together, 50 years together, maybe even 60 years together and people all around you are looking on your life and marriage going, that's That is amazing. Look at your marriage. You guys are so in love. Most people spend that much time together and they hate each other. But you're like in love. And part of it's you, yes. Part of it's you choosing and deciding to make love a verb. Part of it's you deciding to put him or her first every single day. But you know who the credit really lays with is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ inside of you, the one who gave himself up for you, died on the cross as your savior, forgave you for all of your sin, swept in and across your lives and began to heal you, make you whole, make you new, bringing life, marriage, the way that it was meant to be lived right into your life. And that's what God wants for every single marriage in this world. That's it. That's it. You and I, all people, have a choice every single day. When it comes to our hearts and whether we give them away or whether we lock them up, supposedly safe from harm. Paul says to us this whole marriage thing is a great mystery. And Juno, who had insight into both of those things, wants to know, is it possible to make it across the finish line of this life as in love as we were at the starting line? And the answer that we must, church, exclaim, proclaim, declare, is a resounding, heartfelt yes. Yes. An emphatic yes. Not because of luck. Or not because you chose your spouse so perfectly. But because you chose to persevere. And you chose God inside of you. You chose every single day to make love a verb. And to put each other first every single day. Will you do it? Will you do it? Take your stuff and set it aside if you would. And I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Just invite you to reflect with the Lord on the things we've been talking about together.
maybe for you today, you've got some confession work to do around the whole making love a noun instead of the verb that it's meant to be. Maybe you've just set the love thing into sort of cruise control in your marriage relationship and yeah, you're not feeling it. Be nice if you did. What's Jesus saying to you about you making love a verb? What are you going to do when you walk out these doors in a few minutes from right now to live that out? Oh yeah, love's not a noun. It's not just a thing. It's active, it's alive, it's doing, it's It's me loving, actively loving. Maybe for you, you've got some work to do around the submission thing. Maybe you've got work to do around even the definition of it. Perhaps you've had your heels dug in for the longest time because you've said, I'm not doing that. Not a chance. I don't care if you never use the word submit again. That's fine with me. Just make your spouse the priority. That's submission. And the idea is that your spouse would make you the priority right back. But you're making them the priority isn't conditioned on what they do. They might tell you to stick it in your ear. That's fine. You're still the priority. And I'm still going to love you. Actively love you. Come hell or high water. What's the Lord speaking to you about those things? And what are you going to do about it? And maybe today for you, that vision God has for your marriage starts with you choosing to live your life in relationship with him as your savior once and for all. Is it possible that for you, your marriage is a wreck because your soul is a wreck? Has Jesus been pursuing you for some time and you've been saying, no, 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 I'm gonna do this my way. Why not stop running today and why not come home to him today? Why not say yes today? And if Jesus is working on your heart in that way right now, why not step across the line of faith in him? Why not choose to follow him with your everything? If that's you, you can pray with me right now. I invite you to. Jesus, yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I've done stuff that I... Jesus, I need you. I need you to enter into my heart and my life, and I need you to forgive me and clean me up and make me right and set my feet in a new place. Set my feet on you, because I'm standing in quicksand right now. I choose you, Jesus.
And I thank you so much for dying on the cross for me, for paying my penalty. Here's my life, all of me. All my baggage, my marriage that's in a ditch. Here's all of me, everything. I want you, Jesus. I choose you once and for all. I'm coming home. And if that's you, if you're a person today who's stepping across the line of faith in Jesus, that is the biggest deal of your life in eternity. It carries such weight around here, we invite people to tell us when they make that decision. It's a private deal. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. If you prayed with me just then to step across the line of faith in Jesus, would you be so brave right now as to just slip your hand up and lock eyes with me? You can do that right now. You can do that right now. Yes. Way to go. Absolutely. Yes. And you, yes. Absolutely. Way to go. And over here to my left, yeah, absolutely. Way to go. Yeah, I see you there, yes. And here, yeah, yes sir, yes. And over there, yeah, there you go, yeah, I see you. Way to go, sweetie, way to go, yes. Jesus, we thank you so much for these who are coming home to you, who are stepping across the line of faith, who are saying, I need a savior to set all of this right, to set me right relationally with you, God, relationally with others. And we realize, Jesus, that yielding our hearts and lives to you isn't just some quick fix, it's not just a band-aid, it's everything. It's setting our lives squarely the way you meant them to be lived in intimate, personal, close-knit relationship with the God of the universe. And we're so thankful for these who are making that declaration today. Jesus, we're also so grateful for all of us in this room who are saying, you know, I got really hard work to do in the marriage realm. Those of us who are saying, you know, love's become a lot of a noun for us, and we got to change that. This whole making the other person the priority, it's not even never been on the radar screen, but it is now. And God, that you would fill and that you would empower and that you would revolutionize marriage relationships starting today. that our marriages would be a picture of you to the world around us. That we would display you and that we would declare you in every way, especially Jesus, our families and our marriages. Because you're God. And the establishment of marriage is your idea, your best idea. And 
we're so grateful for it. We're so grateful for you and we're so grateful for your wisdom, your direction, your empowerment, your filling, Jesus. We cling to you. We hold fast to you and we just say, we're going to obey you. It's going to be really, really hard. It'd be a lot easier just to walk out the door and call it quits, but we're not going to do that. We're going to stay and we're going to stick and we're going to honor God and we're going to exalt God and we're going to glorify God. And we're going to ask him for a miracle. Because that's what you do, God. <laughs>